Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. The topic of this episode is a tree with a bit of an identity crisis. Depending on where you're from or what your background is, you may know this tree as the basswood, or the linden, or perhaps tilia, or maybe even the lime tree. Not the green citrus lime tree, though. I believe basswood is the most common here in the United States, but because we see more symbolism in this tree from European countries, I will be mostly referring to this as the linden. I believe that is a more common name for it over in that continent. One thing I find very interesting about the linden is that this is a tree native to the British Isles that we do not see featured in the Celtic Oum tree calendar. Surely not every tree can be holy to the Celtic faith, but to be entirely honest, there's only so many trees on the British Isles. Apparently it's just not special enough. But luckily for us, other countries across the continent love this tree, and because of that it has left a lasting impact on a variety of cultures. In both the Greco-Roman and Germanic spheres of influence, we see the linden representing love, prosperity, and justice to the people who know it well. Eastern European countries especially hold this tree in high regard. So what is it about this tree that makes it so loved and so important to these civilizations? working as a botanist in Wisconsin, the linden was one of my favorite trees to identify. There was a day when we were working in a national forest and our job that day was biodiversity surveys. Essentially, we set up a grid with measuring tapes in the woods and identified and recorded every plant species within a given area. I was working with my boss and when I found a linden seedling, he got kind of upset because he himself had missed it. And slowly this unspoken game formed that while we were working in various survey grids, each of us wanted to be the first to find a linden. Admittedly, I was pretty good at it. It's just a nice memory from days in fieldwork. What is it about the linden that makes it so identifiable? To me, what stands out in multiple ways is the tree's asymmetry. Nature likes to form in patterns, but the linden can be curiously lopsided. The leaves, for instance, are generally shaped like a cartoon heart. Uh, scientists would call that chordate. And in some cases, the shape is fairly intact, but in many cases, the shape isn't even on both sides. It appears lopsided. A rather small detail, but one that stands out compared to many other shapes in nature. This asymmetry applies to the fruits and flowers as well. On their own, linden flowers hang down beneath the leaves like a cluster of yellow fireworks. But there's something else about them. Attached to each flower cluster is this bizarre leafy bract as if the tree has another leaf entirely. Uh, this one is a long oval, like a stretched out piece of taffy. This adaptation is very interesting. Apparently when the flowers are pollinated and grow into a cluster of pea-like fruits, the bract helps catch the wind and has the seeds distance themselves from the tree. Like when they drop, the attached leaf works like a sail, which is incredibly clever to think of. The tree itself is a wonderful shade tree. Lindens can grow up to 80 feet or 24 meters and have a really nice crown spread. And those heart-shaped leaves are pretty large, which help shade the area beneath the tree quite well. 
The wood is actually fairly soft. We often refer to deciduous trees as hardwoods and conifers as softwoods, but this tree seems to break that trend. Lindens can be found across the northern hemisphere. In the United States, we have species like the American basswood across the Midwest and Northeast, and the Florida and Carolina basswoods in the Southeast. In Europe, you'll find the little leaf linden, the large leaf linden, the silver linden, or perhaps some hybrid of the three. We often think of hybrid species as being human cultivated, but they are actually pretty good at crossbreeding naturally wherever their ranges overlap. And you'll find the rest of the species across Asia, like the Japanese lime, Mongolian lime, or Chinese linden. Overall, there are around 30 species in the Tilia genus. Tilia was once in its own family, Tiliaceae, and that's how I originally learned it. But with our increased understanding of tree genetic relationships, these trees have been moved to the Mallow family, Malvaceae. The Mallow family is where we find chocolate or cacao, durian, and the baobab which makes these trees the closest relatives to those weird African upside-down trees that I've talked about so far. Genetics are weird. The name Tilia comes from an ancient Greek word referring to the elm tree, actually. But if we look earlier than that, linguists suggest that its origins actually date back to Proto-Indo-European, with a word that likely means broad, as in broadleaf. I don't think I've mentioned Proto-Indo-European before. This is in reference to our understanding of the language system used by the human civilizations that led into later societies that we find from Europe to the Indian subcontinent. If you've made it through all my other episodes, you'll know by now that I have a specific curiosity in the origins of our tree names. I just love to imagine what these early civilizations looked like, and language is one way of connecting us to them and the names of our trees is part of the key to these mysteries of what we were like several thousand years ago. For instance, if the name for this tree Tilia is derived from the basic word referring to broadleaf, this may tell us that this specific tree was actually less important than others to this ancient society. This is, of course, just me theorizing and musing with a real lack of understanding for ancient cultures, uh, but if this tree was a significant symbol, wouldn't it have had a more specific word as opposed to generic? Or am I getting this backwards? Could it rather be that this was more considered as the broadleaf tree? Or is this just not a real indicator at all? I don't know, and this is what keeps me up at night. But ultimately, we aren't sure what these proto-ancient societies thought of the linden. Or if we do, these answers are not in a language I know or locked behind a research paywall. But we do know more about recent societies. We know their histories, their religions, and their stories. origins of how we understand the linden today stem from two sources, the societies built by ancient Greece and Rome, and the ancient Germanic cultures. In the early centuries of the Common Era, Europe was divided primarily by these two cultures, Greco-Roman around the Mediterranean and across Western Europe as far as the British Isles, and Germanic tribes across Northern and Eastern Europe. This is of course a big generality and oversimplification, but for the purposes of this tree's symbolism, we do see themes split between that broad cultural divide. Let's start with Greece. Stories from this culture tie the theme of love to the linden quite strongly. 
One of the biggest representations of this connection come from the Greek myth of Baucis and Philemon. Like I did with the story of the Laurel and Apollo, I am taking from the version told by Ovid, a Roman poet who transformed Greek myths into Roman versions, but I'll convert the names back for you. One day, a long long time ago, Zeus, god of the sky and thunder and his son Hermes, god of travelers, decided to come to Earth posing as mortals. They visited a particular town and knocked on every door trying to see who would host a couple of beggars. A thousand homes they visited, and no one would open the doors to these two. Finally, they came upon a rather shabbily built home that actually opened their doors to the disguised immortals. This home was owned by an old couple named Bossus and Philemon. They did not have much in the way of wealth or possessions, but what they did have was a strong marital bond. It is said because of this bond that it made them generous and so willing to host strange beggars even though they did not have much even for themselves. They were able to serve up a meager soup of cabbage and bacon and what would be considered simple snacks back then. They pulled out a woven willow bench that was reserved for holidays and stuffed a support under a wobbly table leg that was shorter than the others. But the most important thing they gave their guests was good company and conversation for the love this old couple shared overflowed onto all they met. After some time, the pitchers and glasses of cheap wine ran short. But something magical happened. The wine started to refill itself. At this, Philemon and his wife knew they were in the presence of gods and immediately humbled themselves, apologizing profusely for not having a proper feast to give them. Bosses offered to cook a goose for them, as she knew of one that wandered their property. This goose actually served as a sort of watchdog for the old couple. But Bosses hobbling on her crutches could not catch the crafty beast which ran right into Zeus's lap for safety. At that, Zeus reassured them, for they had already given more an offering to the gods than any other townsperson. And for that, everybody in town would be killed, except for Bossus and Philemon. They went up to the top of the mountain and watched the valley below become completely flooded and the shambling house be turned into a grand temple, and the gods told the couple whatever they desired would be granted. Bossus and Philemon did not want much, that they could continue to serve the gods in this temple, and that they never have to see each other's grave, for their love was that strong that this was their biggest fear each. And the gods obliged. Years later, as the couple was now truly old, they were sitting on their temple home's front porch and reminiscing on the wonder that was their long life together. And at that, they started to see leaves and twigs sprout from each other's head. They said one final farewell and embraced as Bossus turned into a linden and her husband Philemon into an oak tree. A couple things to note with this story. The telling is specific that it was Bossus that transformed into the linden, as this tree's symbolism is more than just one of love. The linden is said to represent the feminine side of marital love and duty in accordance to the gender roles of that culture. It makes sense that the oak was chosen as Philemon's form as the oak is an iconic symbol of the Greek god Zeus, which I'll talk about more on the next episode. But the linden is not a symbol of Hermes, except maybe just for the purpose of this story. In fact, I'm not exactly sure what Hermes did in this story, aside from just be there hanging out with his dad while he got up into shenanigans and destroyed a town. In ancient Greek tradition, the linden is actually supposed to be a symbol of Aphrodite, who is the goddess of beauty and love. The linden's connection with feminine love is what ties it to her, and the tree's fragrant flowers are supposed to be something like her own enchanting perfume. 
This connection was carried over to Rome with Aphrodite's Roman form, Venus. With the Roman transition, it also became connected to Juno, who was said to represent marital loyalty. The idea of the linden being more than just love but marital duty, I believe, came about with the Roman tellings of these stories, as their society had more emphasis on duty and adherence to structure and form. We see this importance spread wherever the influence of the Roman Empire extended in Western Europe. The specific symbolism of the linden gets watered down, but we still see this as a loved and important tree. For example, in my episode about the history of Arbor Day, I mentioned Spain having the first recorded official holiday dedicated to planting trees. The mayor of this Spanish village decreed that the villagers would spend the day planting horse chestnut and lime, meaning linden. There's a reason specific trees were chosen. These were trees that held meaning to the people there. We see similar importance being given to the linden in the other predominant cultural trend in Europe, the Germanic tribes north of the Roman Empire. To them, the linden was a holy tree in general, dedicated to the goddess Freya just as the Greeks and Romans dedicated it to Aphrodite and Venus. Freya was rather the goddess of prosperity, luck, and fertility, among several other things. And so it was seen that having lindens grow nearby would increase the general prosperity and happiness of that area. The luck theme comes into play in a similar way that the laurel meant protection to the Romans. According to these cultures, lightning would never strike linden trees, and so that was evidence that one was safe from ill fortune with a linden nearby. And the fertility theme also gave the linden a strong symbolism to lovers, just more so with the theme of passionate love rather than marital love as the Romans practiced. Alongside prosperity, we also see the linden representing peace and justice. When tribal judgments needed to be made, proceedings were said to be held around large linden trees in the area. And when two disagreeing forces, like, say, armies, made treaties and deals, linden trees were planted on the spot of the agreement to symbolize the peace that was made. Various countries across Eastern Europe have continued to celebrate the linden. Those countries in their languages will typically refer to it as the Lipa, and that name Lipa is a commonly used root for town names in countries such as Poland, and it's even the national tree of Slovenia. Many towns in these Eastern European countries will have an old and celebrated linden tree in their town squares or other important sites, perhaps dating back to when these trees were used as gathering places, or planted in celebration of peace and unity. Lindens can in fact live over a thousand years. We also see symbolism coming from the lime trees native to China, which is always fun to throw in a little cultural variety alongside Europe. When discussing its biology, I mentioned the linden having extraordinarily soft wood. In fact, this physical feature may be why it is associated with the feminine half of marital love, as softness is historically a quality associated with femininity. But in Chinese lore, the softness of the linden is supposed to symbolize forgetfulness. I'm not entirely sure if this is a negative connotation, perhaps more like forgiveness or forgetting past wrongs. This softness may be the root of the reverence of this tree regardless of associated meaning. Even with the Germanic connection to peace and justice, could it be that these people were inspired by the linden as a source of cooperation? If a carpenter wanted to carve a specific shape from the wood, and the wood was willing to work with the carpenter to see his vision met, isn't that like an agreement of peace between the artist and the canvas? Alongside the softness of the wood, we can also see the flowers as a physical reasoning for the tree's associated symbolism. 
As explicitly stated, the flowers were important to love goddess Aphrodite, and likely so because flowers are seen as beautiful things. A wonderful honey is supposed to be made from the linden flowers, and the sweetness these trees provide for us surely ties us back to what these civilizations saw as important for love and romance. These themes are ones that we can take home with us. That it's okay to be soft, to be willing to be the one that gives and makes peace. And with the story of Bossus and Philemon, it's such an important thing to remember that the love we share with each other, be it romantic, marital, or platonic, is something that we should all value. Because the more of something we have, the more we have to share it with others. That's how it grows. And while the linden is considered to be specifically feminine, on the next episode of My Favorite Trees, I'll be covering its masculine counterpart, the oak. We'll learn about the strength of this summer Oum calendar tree on June 15th. I'll see you all then. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>